Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville and Al Hunt. What a week. Iowa? No, no. New Hampshire? No, no. Impeachment? No, no. State of the Union? Oh, my God. Anyway, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, James, we have it again, Our one of our favorite people of all times, the legendary, the fabled Iowa pollster, Ann Selzer, who is with us from Des Moines. Ann, first, it's great to have you. Thank you. It's happy to be here. Two, this hasn't been the Hawkeye State's best week. <laughs> last, last Saturday night, as always is the case before one of your polls is slated, I really, without exaggeration, the entire political community awaited the Iowa poll, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time. I mean, there we were, by our laptops, by our computers, by our phones, by all of our apps. And then disappointment, crushed disappointment a couple of minutes before we learned that it was canceled uh, because there was some errors uh, in one of the call centers, or one of the callers, rather, in Florida. Conspiracy theories abound, as you know. Tell us why you felt you had no choice but to cancel last Saturday night's Iowa poll. Well, first I want to say that the final pre-caucus Iowa poll uh, has a storied history of having a shocking twist. And so the shocking twist this time was uh, a a very last-minute decision by the team, that would be my company, the Des Moines Register and CNN, to say that without 100% confidence, they they felt they needed to not release the poll. And what happened was that we were alerted to an incident with one respondent who was not read the name of Pete Buttigieg on the horse race question and said to the interviewer, oh, you didn't name my candidate. And there was, you know, a kind of going back and forth. And she said, my terminal isn't working properly. And a little bit of back and forth. He didn't end up completing the interview. Um, And when I learned of this and investigated with my phone bank, what I found out is that that single interviewer, to our knowledge, had adjusted the font on her terminal to make it bigger, which meant that the long list of candidates didn't all fit in one screen. And so that's how the name didn't get read. Now, we randomized those lists of candidates, so that would not have been a conspiracy uh, against one particular candidate. Um, And because that instance we could not verify it didn't happen to another. And once that snowball starts, that's, you know, we could identify all of the all of the respondents that that person interviewed, but it just led to an, an unanswered question at the time that a call had to be made. And so the, the hardest call of all was made, which was to pull it. I can imagine that. But, you, you know, if you rechecked every call that caller made... Sure. Uh, and they were all the others were fine, then, yeah, I can see there was one bad call. But, you know, that could, I suppose, has probably happened other times. Why couldn't you even check a little bit further and put it out Sunday? So the um, decision was made by the team in tandem to make the call Saturday night that we would cancel. Uh, Okay. So I understand you're like the lawyer. Your clients are the Des Moines Register and CNN. They're of both news organizations. Both of them get high and mighty when their requests are not responded to, that they represent the public interest. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of political people would like to see that poll. They would like to know what happened, and are you really going to cancel? And of course, they paid for the poll, so they must have. Hey, I, 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 there's something here. I, I, this is a hell of a story. And they're not telling us. And that's what they're supposed to be in. That's it. That's the business that they're in. They're not running a bank. They're not the CIA. They, they fashion themselves as truth tellers to bring their viewers and readers information you wouldn't ordinarily get. Well, they shouldn't be covering this shit up. They should be saying, "Look, this is why we did it." Which, which they did. This is—I'd I'd love a a real time story. 
as to how this decision process went down. I, I think it's news. Now, it's not you. I'm not at all saying anything to you. You're very forthcoming. I'm saying to CNN and the Des Moines Register, you're in the news business. You're not in the cover-up business. And this is a, you know, it's not an earth-shattering story. People have moved on to New Hampshire, but it's a story, and you're sitting on the story. That's my view. But, Albert, you're a journalist. What do you think? I mean, you're the professional. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. I, I think Ann, Ann, this is not Ann's responsibility. I think CNN, I think the CNN and the Des Moines Register, Register should have been far more forthcoming, far more transparent. Because Ann, among other things, as you know, and I don't expect you to comment on this, uh, you know, I, I adore you. We worked together for many years. There's no one better than you. And I know if you had data in front of you and my coat was on fire, I'm sorry, the data comes first. We understand that. <laughs> but let me ask, you know, there are conspiracy theories all over the place. Nate Silver has published what he alleges and others have were your final numbers. So that just is out there. I mean, wouldn't it be better to kind of clarify it all and be more transparent, even at this late date? I have seen multiple sets of numbers, and I can neither confirm nor deny any of them. You can't, but they can. Right? You're a poster. Confidentiality and client loyalty are, are two of the essential things that you grew up with that is in your DNA, that is in your very blood. They're not posters. They're news organizations. They, make their, they, they, they ostensibly are transparent people who want other people to be transparent. All right. And that what they're doing, it just it, that's why people say, look at the press. They have one set of rules for everybody else. They got one set of rules for them. And that's just exactly what this looked like. It's not going to be the most earth shattering thing. But the public, at, at least the public of Dow Hunt, James Carville, Washington, handicapper, political junk, you know, a lot of people, not just there's so much interest in this election. People all over the country are waiting on that poll. And you say, well, we decided because somebody somebody said that Mayor Pete's name wasn't on there. Oh, bullshit. It's got to be something worth out. We're fine. Of course, you told us about the, the screen could have been a mistake. I don't know. You could have double-checked it. But they can tell us. Somebody at CNN or the Des Moines Register write a joint op-ed piece. Why we killed the Iowa poll. You know, who killed Santa Claus? Because <laughs> your poll is Santa Claus to us. Well, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I. I agree, and that's something we got to, at some point, maybe we'll be lucky enough to get someone from CNN on to explain that. Let me, let me turn, Ann, you've answered everything you can here. So let me turn to something else, though, because the, what became even a bigger story 48 hours later was the Iowa caucuses, and where it took us days to get a result. How did the Iowa Democratic Party, this is, you're as an observer now, a citizen, not a participant, this has nothing to do with Selzer and company, but, but, but you are smart and you see a lot. How did the Democrats in Iowa National Party screw this up so badly? Well, I, I will say that I am, uh, have a keen sense of a, the absurd and one of the things that was sort of uh, bounced off of me, which I just kind of, it tickled me, was that, you know, the final Selzer poll predicted no data. And that's what happened on <laughs> caucus night. Right. There was, your uh, your there unblemished no record continues, <laughs> Anne. <laughs> so um, I had spent, gosh, earlier in the week ahead of uh, our poll, I, I went to the Iowa Democratic Party headquarters and sat down with their president, uh, tr the chairman, maybe that's his title, Troy Price, to make sure I understood the rules because I knew in a lot of the media coverage with these new uh, positions in place, I wanted to be sure I understood right from the horse's mouth how this was going to go. And I have to say the headquarters was calm and he was calm. And I said, are you ready? He said, we're ready. And um, you, you didn't get any sort of sense firsthand that something was afoot that would go foul. And just listening to various commentators and rate, uh, talk show hosts where people have been calling in to explain their caucus experience, I'm getting the sense that the caucuses themselves ran smoothly. It was the reporting of the results. And anytime you've got a new mechanism, it it's almost impossible to predict every tiny little thing that might go wrong and how a new software program should handle it. 
And that, yeah, I agree, except this wasn't a tiny little thing. This was a humongous thing. This was, well, you know, 72 hours before we had any idea who had even won. And then the Bernie people were out there full of conspiracies. I mean, it, 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 there's, a, there's an enduring hurt from this. It's not just, you know, an inconvenience Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday night. And again, you are, you, this isn't you, this is the Iowa Democratic Party. Right. So, you know, you can say a couple of things. So the one one I just heard on the way to the studio was about a caucus where they had to flip a coin because neither or each of the two candidates was viable. But who got the extra delegate? And they because they only had one to award. And so that was a coin flip. And now they didn't have a match between the number of people and then the number of delegates. And, and that the system couldn't take it. He said, so I called in and I was on hold for an hour and a half. So that backup system really, I think, was understaffed. It, it, they underestimated the need to basically replicate what they had done in all previous years, which was to have a system where people would call in. Well, this is the end of the Iowa caucuses, I suspect, and just because, you know, the, the, the party, uh, the country just can't take something as traumatic as this was. And, and James is right. It's not, I mean, he, he was talking about, you know, canceling uh, the Iowa poll. But, I mean, this too, in a month from now, we'll be talking about other things. But, boy, when it comes time to come back again, how's anybody going to have any confidence that they're able to, to, to put on a, um, a, a good a caucus system? I would say that the venerable political reporter observer David Yepsen was quoted as saying, Iowa's goose is cooked. Um, I saw and, that. And so I think um, we'll just see how that plays out. I think today it is very hard to muster an argument for Iowa to continue. Um, it had been under attack. There were reasons for the rules changes, all of that kind of thing, because people didn't think it was democracy with a small d um, and reflective. I, I would say, where else are you going to go that is a small state where a candidate that is not a self-financing billionaire um, can make a start? You can't really start in California. You can't really start in Texas. You can't really start in New Jersey, um, even Illinois, because it would be so expensive to begin a campaign there. You might go to Louisiana, James, maybe. So I'm doing a, a, a weekend, a piece for the weekend FT. And basically, I think that literally the fate of the world that we know depends on the Democratic Party of the United States of America. I'm talking about from the Atlantic Alliance to climate, to government debt, to professional, to anything you can think of. And I got to tell you, the Democratic Party is not doing well right now. All right. We put on the Iowa caucuses. It was a goddamn disaster. We're putting on the convention. You read today, the top two convention people have been sent home. All right. Come on, people. This is, you know, we always say this is the most important election of our lifetime. We stand on the precipice. We could do it. This is. This is. This, this literally and I'm not kidding. It's not just the, the country that we know. It's the entire freaking world. And they can't put on a convention and they can't conduct a caucus. The DNC didn't send technical assistance to the Iowa party. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I've been a Democrat all of my life. And I've fought in red states and stuff. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm treated with this idiocy. And we in 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 a convention is good. We we three people away from fixing our convention issues: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's bad. Well, I I I I I couldn't I can't disagree with a single sentence there, James. I was I was going to ask I was just going to ask who do you see as the savior? <laughs> uh, you know what, what? person? I if I if I knew. All right, I'm for Michael Bennett. I, I, I understand the reality's life, but I, I think we—if somebody came to Democrat and said we just—we don't have to just win this election, we got to have a big election. But I, but you, you, I did something last night. Bernie Sanders. Look, I'll vote for Bernie Sanders. I'd be happy about it. And if Bernie Sanders wins, he might. He could get 280 electoral votes, and we might keep the House. But we're not going to have the Senate or the courts. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. Well, at least we're, we're going to be led by career criminal. But that's about all we're going to be able to say. 
and, and I just think I, the, the party and, and people have got to, the, and these candidates, gee, they got, we went to 2018, man. We recruited the best candidates you could imagine. We had a turnout higher than, than it's ever been since, I don't know, 1914 or something. We have a huge margin. And we did it by getting qualified people that talked about things and were able to do things in a way that mattered to people. And the day after the election, they're all chasing Bernie Sanders around. I, 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 here I am. I'm just giving out my own view. I, don't, I, I really don't need this shit. I don't, I, I, but I don't know. Somebody's got to like try to jerk this thing back where we get back to like being irrelevant to, to what's going on in people's lives. Well, and, and there's not much time to do it. And I know you won't talk about the poll that was canceled, but if you look at your previous poll several weeks earlier, uh, uh, you know, you, you really kind of, uh, in many ways, presage what was going to happen. So a couple of questions based on that and what you've seen. Why was it, and, and, and the results we know now, so we know, why was it in Iowa that Pete Buttigieg caught fire and not, say, Cory Booker or Amy Klobuchar? Well, I don't know about Cory Booker. He just never got any traction. He just failed. And Pete Buttigieg had a moment where he stood at the top of the poll. He had faded a bit in our early January poll. But there was a really interesting dynamic there now that we kind of see what happened. I mean, first of all, that early January poll had Joe Biden in fourth place. And and other polls were showing him with a, a sizable lead. And my mental note to myself was, I think those polls skewed older. Um, and so there, there was sort of an unfair advantage for Joe Biden there. But when you looked... Skewed over. Explain, explain skewed over. The meaning they, were, they had disproportionately more older people than were reflective of the eventual caucus um, population. So... But the interesting thing there was looking at the second choices. And for Sanders and Warren, there was reciprocity. That is, if you were a Sanders supporter, your second choice was most commonly Elizabeth Warren. And if you were Elizabeth Warren supporter, your most common second choice was Bernie Sanders. That was not true for Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. If you were a Joe Biden supporter, most commonly, your second choice was Pete Buttigieg. But if you were a Buttigieg supporter, most commonly, your second choice was Elizabeth Warren. You could see how Joe Biden didn't do very well in the results so far. Yeah, but, you know, he had, I think, in your poll and, and what we saw from whatever they call him, the entrance poll, I mean, he was getting like 4 or 5% of people under 40. I mean, that's not the way you went. I mean, he really does look like yesterday. So, Ann, people that listen, listen to the show, that, that they'll listen to it unless they're really involved in politics and, and everything. When Ann Selsa is now, now the caravan, all the dogs have barked and the caravan has left Iowa and you're sitting at your computer terminal, what polls do you look at? How do you keep yourself informed as to what's going on in the election and uh, in places that you yourself are not polling? Well, first first of all, please know that uh, I look at all of the polls. Now, I also try to evaluate them. So as I mentioned before, there were a fair number of polls that came out ahead of this election that had Joe Biden leading. Um, And because he had been fourth place in our early January poll, that sort of made my head scratch because I didn't have a sense that there was momentum uh, for Joe Biden. But you look, so you go down and look at their methodology and you say, okay, or not okay. Going forward, um, I look at the the polls that have done a, a good job historically with good pollsters at their helm. I was just on the phone this morning with Gary Langer, who runs the ABC Washington Post poll. Um, and, you know, that's that's a trusted poll. Any of the polls that are working with panels where they've got pre-selected people who've agreed uh, to be part of it in primaries and caucuses where it's such a volatile population of who eventually shows up, it's hard to, um, you have to sort of guess what you think this future electorate is going to look like. So I'm, I'm always just a little bit, Um, reticent 
to get there. But I read the analyses and it's I, I see the parts that make sense to me. But I can't tell you that there's a single poll out there that I think could always be trusted. We're all we're all shaking a little bit. Well, I want to quickly add that the the ABC poll is fine. But to me, the gold standard of those media polls, I mean, once you get outside of Ann Selzer, has always been the NBC Wall Street Journal poll. I mean, year in and year out over the course of 30 years, and I had an involvement with that. And so I, you know, I certainly look at that. And, and I don't worry as much about the national polls. I mean, the national polls were right in the 2016 election, by and large. I mean, your final poll, I think, for Bloomberg had Hillary winning by a little bit less than three points. She won by two and a half. You can't get better than that. It was the state polls and how erratic they are. And that's where the contests are going to be held now. That's right. That's right. You asked me, I'm 25 years old. What girls do you look at? Well, I look at all of them, but some of them I look at harder than others, if you know what I mean. And so you're telling me that, the, that you think the ABC Wall Street Journal poll is, is methodologically sound. And what, about, what do you think of the polling averages? I, 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 I have a little more. I don't have time. I, I, I go for them and look at the trend lines. Is that, is, am I doing a valuable thing or should I stop that? Well, I don't do it. I think what I like is are the polling aggregators that will list all the polls so I can easily compare them one to the other. But the polling average, this this is my problem with this, and it has been all along, which is the assumption that all of these polls have error, and if you just if you just average them all, that will be true. And the reality is that there there and I will I will uh, with not what's going to sound like much humility use myself as an example. Often my polls have been an outlier, like I'm the only one out there with Joni Ernst winning by a sizable margin. Everybody else is in, so the average shows a relatively small margin where she might be victorious. My poll had a big one, but my poll was the most accurate. So the averages tend to converge to be a more conservative estimate in my experience. Joni Ernst, who won big despite the fact she has an IQ of room temperature, but that's okay. I have one final uh, uh, question to ask you, and James and I have been talking about this a lot the last couple of days. We expected, and I actually think you did too, just based on the intensity level, a really huge turnout. I mean, a 2008-level turnout. From what we know, it looks like there was not. Uh, It was more like 2016. Do, Do you have any explanation or theory for why that was the case? I don't I don't know that I have a theory but I did the algebra based on what they have released so far and it's not going to hit it doesn't appear the 2008 number which is roughly 240,000 people um so if they say that 62% of the precincts and that each precinct roughly has the same number of people which isn't probably true either but um I I have I have no way of reckoning that with how many candidates were in this state drumming up new caucus goers. Yes. And commitment to go to caucus, you know, not, I'm not, eh, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't get, there was the commitment level was historically high. And uh, as always, you're a terrific guest. Uh, you remain uh, as good a pollster as there is. And, you know, I'm not going to wait four years. And James is going to wait four years to invite you back because we don't know what's going to happen in four years. So we want to have you on throughout this year to talk about your analyses of polls uh, and uh, trends you see. But thank you very much. Very good. Good to talk to you guys. Okay, James. Well, I mean, it has been as bad a week as you could imagine for the Democratic Party. Uh, and I'm, 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 I, you know, I wrote a column defending the New Hampshire primary and the Iowa caucuses last weekend. Um, I couldn't defend the caucuses anymore. Uh, you know, I can't. But just and we, we, we can pick up on on some of your overarching points in a second. But let's just turn to New Hampshire because it's only five days away. And there's a really a lot riding on New Hampshire now. If Biden doesn't win it or finish very close or if he finishes uh, another fourth, that firewall crumbles. He is gone. Bernie wants to put away Warren and, and hope he becomes the only hope of the left. Warren needs to revive what is really a sinking campaign. And Mayor Pete needs to show he's not just a one trick pony 
And finally, Michael Bloomberg is looking for a big Bernie win to set up a mano a mano with the Vermont Socialist on March 3 in California, Texas, and a dozen other states. So, I mean, you know, for all the awful things that have happened, and they're terrible and may continue to be terrible, New Hampshire next Tuesday is a big deal, a big effing deal, as Joe would say. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that, look, I, what's happened here, you know, we had 2016. We learned our lesson. We, we buckled down. We focused. We got into what, people's lives. We motivated people. We had the biggest election off the election maybe in history in terms of the House, not, not Florida, but <laughs> in terms of the House, in terms of turnout, in terms of votes, in terms of everything. And the day after that, the day after that, they all went back to the same thing. And, and I, 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 you know, it's very clear. Congratulations to Mayor Pete on that. Night. And what they did was a, was a really remarkable thing. I mean, they took a chance. They came in. They, they, they did a good job. I, I'm just unimpressed with some of these campaigns, and I'm unimpressed with some of the, 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 the how these candidates let themselves get sucked into any kind of a arcane debate that they get in, get into. Biden, you know, Bernie's running on a revolution. Biden's running on a restoration. Let me give you a word in politics that I always found that worked when you were the out party in a wrong track electorate of which is the case here. How about change? How about using the word, it's time for a change? Now, nobody's going to give you the award for being the most creative political consultant in the world. They're saying, well, I need something like it's the economy, stupid. Remember, it was the economy, stupid. It was change versus more the same. The economy, stupid, and don't forget health care. The first thing on that wall was change versus more the same. That was not a restoration. We're not going back to 1915 in, in, in the United States. We're not going back to 2025 in the Soviet Union. I mean, for God's sakes, people, somebody, you know, Casey Singleton, what, the 61 Mets? What did he say? Can, can someone play this game? Yeah, can anybody here play this game? We got a lineup of Marv, what was his name? Is it Marv Marvelous Marv Thornberry. Yeah, that's, that's what we got going for us. And, you know, I'm telling you, these Democrats are, they are scared. They are concerned. And somebody has got to step into this thing. But man, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it happening right now. I mean, I, I, Mayor Pete got something going. Well, Mayor Pete does, and we'll see if he can continue it uh, in other places. Let me give you a good You have noted from the beginning, and I have agreed with you, that no one started with a better overall message than Elizabeth Warren about income inequality, about fairness in America, about the rich getting theirs. And, you know, it was really, she was really good on it. She knew it. She was smart. She had a background that was authentic. Uh, and authentic. Every, had about the best bio of anybody run for president. And then she got, I mean, last week, last week, the closing week of the Iowa caucus is the first big test she says that a nine-year-old transgender kid will have veto power over who she appoints as secretary of education. I mean, honest to God. I mean, that, that, I mean, I'm sorry. We forget the bio then. We forget the income inequality. We forget the two Americas. It's just, I don't know what happens to these people, James. Ban fracking. This woman grew up in Oklahoma. Ban fracking. No, no a, a ticket if you cross the border illegally. I mean, it's just so not in the zone of the life that people lead. And what drives me crazy, because I want to say, I am, climate scares the shit out of me. I live in the most climate-sensitive part of the entire United States. And we need engineering. And we need engineering fast. That's part of the solution. Yes, I'm all for a carbon tax. I am for nuclear power. Goddamn built. They're against it. Why are they against nuclear power? I have no idea. And, and you're not going to stop. You're going you're gonna to lose Pennsylvania, you fool out the frackers who ran the coal people out of business. Well, let They're me crazy. just, knowing what you think and agreeing with you probably 99% of the time, there are a couple of things we disagree on, like the best pictures in baseball. However, it looks to me like the person that comes closest to fitting the bill among those people running for the Democratic nomination is one Michael Bloomberg. I, I, my, a lot of my friends are for Mayor Mike, right? And I, I, 
from going to New York from when he started his term to after his term, it seems like to me, but what what the hell am I? Go to the upper east side of Manhattan, all right? So, but the airport, the city just looked like it, it made substantial improvements under his administration. I, I think that statistics would, would, would bear that out. I don't know what kind of candidate he is. I don't see, he doesn't, he doesn't appear talking in, in his ads. I hadn't seen him in a debate. I hadn't seen him be able to make an argument. Doesn't do many interviews, hardly any. Right. So, I, I mean, we're all so desperate that anything, any, any shiny thing that comes along will grab hold to it. And he may be the greatest thing that ever lived. I don't know that. But he's got to be able to rally Democratic voters. He's got to be able to excite them. He's got to have some crossover appeal. He's got to get to the suburban women, you know. I, I, I mean, it's take some. It, it, he's got to do it in a way that you know. I don't, I don't know how. If, if if we nominate him, which I would be for him versus Bernie, but I I I, I think the party fractures. I, I think the Bernie people are, are, are not Democrats. They don't. They, I think Elizabeth Warren's calculation was, if she could get some of them, that you're not going to get them. They're they're not Democrats. No, I agree. I can't see. I think I think the danger, the perils of a fracture are there almost no matter what. Maybe it's a small fracture and you can overcome that. But uh, it's hard to see now. We're going to come back to this a lot next week as New Hampshire and next, uh, you know, after New Hampshire, we'll have a lot more to say. Let's just turn to impeachment and Trump for a couple minutes before we turn to numbers. Uh, first of all, uh, on impeachment, um, I mean, I have never been known as a Mitt Romney sycophant. When Mitt Romney came out on Wednesday and said he was going to vote for impeachment, I mean, that that took guts. That took real, real courage. He will be an outlier in the Republican Party now. And Doug Jones from the, uh, a Trump-loving state of Alabama, when he came out for impeachment, that was the courage of convictions. And that is in sh- such sharp contrast, not their views, but their their courage and their integrity to Lamar Alexander, who said on Meet the Press, you know, if eight people see an accident, we don't need a ninth person to testify. Let me tell you something, Senator Alexander, if eight people see, hear about an accident secondhand and they tell you about it and there's a ninth person who was there, you're goddamn right anybody wants to hear from them. And, and of course, Meet the Press didn't follow up on that question, but he is a profile in cowardice as is Susan Collins and Rob Portman. It really has been a terrible process. And James, I just finally, I'm going to rant now. But uh, the Senate, I, I, I spent a long time covering the Congress, and I love covering the Congress, maybe my favorite job ever. And I disagreed with a number of things they did. They had some jerks in the Senate and the House. But I really revered the Senate as an institution, whether it was led by Mike Mansfield or Howard Baker or Bob Dole or George Mitchell. No one has respect for this as an institution anymore. It's a clown show under Mitch McConnell. And I think it just got a lot worse these last two weeks. End of my rant. All right. This is my rant. The entire fate of the world that we know depends on one entity. And that entity is the Democratic Party of the United States of America. Literally, everything depends on that. And we have an awesome obligation as Democrats, and we're not doing very well. You know, it's early, but the early returns, not good. I am not happy. They, these, these, these campaigns are not performing the way they should. They're not giving voters things to latch on to. I, I, they're not even turning voters out the way that they should be doing it. So, for God's sake, somebody get good and get good fast and get real. We're in trouble here, people. I mean, I, I, I mean that. I'm, I'm a scared old man. I'm, I'm afraid for the country. I mean, these people are criminals. And that, there is no Republican Party. They're not, it's not a gutless Republican Party. It's a personality cult. And if, if, you know, if you're not in the personality, I'll get Rob Portman or Lamar Alexander, anything else? They're petrified. Yes. And Portman's petrified. Of petrified. course he is. And Mitt Romney's worth $800 million, and he's in his late 60s anyway. No, but you've got to give Mitt, Mitt Romney's voting to impeach, and I think that took courage. I really do. That, the easy vote, the cowardly vote, was the Portman-Alexander way. And, uh, you know, again, I've never been a big 
fan, but I think he deserves great credit for that. Ding on matter, but he yeah, deserves credit. Great, Doug Jones. Look, it, 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 right. he did it, but it's not impeachable. You mean it's not impeachable, convictable? The guy self deals on his behalf with the foreign policy of the United States. You got to be kidding me. You know what? It's every one of you that are listening to this. The only thing between us and the abyss is the Democrats. And I've been a Democrat all my life, and that, and, and I, I don't feel good about that. There's one Democrat who I do feel good about, and she showed it again the other night, Tuesday night in the State of the Union, and that is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. I thought Republicans love Trump's performance. I thought it was low-grade, cheap, insulting. I mean, you know, it was like a game show. I mean, to put on another game show, Melania is going to give the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh in the gallery. Uh, an American soldier is going to surprise his wife by showing. That's not what State of the Unions are supposed to be about. It was more. There were more props than a Hollywood set. And I think when Trump refused to shake the speaker's hand, I think she had every right. At the end, she listened cautiously. She listened politely. And then at the end, she tore up that miserable, dishonest speech. Bravo, Nancy. Uh, uh, look, my solution is. Screw the primaries. Just let Nancy pick the, the uh, presidential and vice presidential candidate. To me. You know, it might come to that. It might come to that. Yeah, it could. We might not it have could. one. And, and I, I tell you right now, I would have more confidence in uh, a hundred times more confidence in Nancy Pelosi's judgment than I would do somebody did these campaigns judgments. Because I, I've, you know, I hadn't seen much out there. I'll be honest with you. But yes, she, of course, and she's trying to protect her members. Uh, and I, I was I was watching the head uh, Mickey Sherrill, you know, it was on the Bill Moore. Mikey Sherrill, yeah. Mikey Sherrill. New she's, Jersey. Yeah, she's great. A Navy helicopter tech. pilot, Annapolis graduate. She is she you talk about future. If the future is Mikey Sherrill, then your worries about the Democrats are over. Unfortunately, it's the present we're worried about. B- Bill Barr chose this piece of Elizabeth Warren with the I don't know, nine-year-old transgender kid. And so Mara asked her, and she said, well, I have four teenage kids, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was oh. like a brilliant answer. Of course, Mitch Landry was on, they look like he crapped a pineapple. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Boy, You're looking there. That's, that's a painful, that's a painful um, uh, thought, yeah, James. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's an old Louisiana expression. That, yeah, that's, well, that's right. You remember that's the right time the old, uh, uh, the former senator from uh, uh, Nevada who was intellectually challenged, Chick Hecht, uh, said that he was for nuclear suppositories, right. which itself was a very painful. Those are great, yeah. Oh wow! I look. I I just. I, it is. A, it is very scary to think that what we got is what the whole free world has. Yeah. I, I mean, literally, that that is the case. I, I exaggerate it. I don't think I exaggerate that at all. All right, now we go to the highlight, other than Ann Selzer, the highlight, Christy Numbers Harvey. Numbers, are you with us? I'm here. How are you guys? Well, we're kind of down, aren't we? Before we start talking numbers, though, I think we need to start selling T-shirts. War Room T-shirts. And our choice is between a T-shirt that says, screw it, let Nancy pick, or (laughs) Mitch Landrew looks like he just crapped a pineapple. (laughs) Uh, so go to at Politics War Room on Twitter and vote for which T-shirt you think that we need to start selling, because I kind of want them both. Let Nancy pick or Mitch Landry looks like he just crapped a pineapple. <laughs> those, those, wow. <laughs> those are I, I've just got to own those T-shirts sometime soon. But I do come with numbers. Oh, so my first number is a million. Um, That is the number of poor kids who may lose access to free school meals if a recent White House rule around SNAP or food stamps goes into effect. So here's what I'm talking about. While everybody is focused on the fireworks of the State of the Union and impeachment and Iowa and all the crazy stuff this week, I'm going to be watching a series of hearings in the House Oversight Committee. 
Sounds boring, but it's actually pretty important. They're having hearings on these new White House regulations that are going to put serious new restrictions on food stamps. It's going to end up kicking 3.1 working poor people off of food stamps. And since those benefits are tied to school meal enrollment, it's going to be a double whammy for about a million kids who could lose from, uh, food then at home and at school. So my first question is for James. I mean, man, what's it going to take to convince people that if we want to have a strong country, we have to have strong kids and we've got to feed them? What, what is this? It, it, you know, if you poll that, it'll poll 75% in favor. Right. So it, it, we went, what I tell you that the fate of the world depends on this election, it's a, a prime example, right? And the Trump cult, because we we're facing a cult, not a political party, it is not held accountable. And the only way to defeat that is to have a, 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 a Democratic candidate and campaign that has the sense to be able to frame these issues and to say, to talk about education in the larger sense of thinking, now what we're going to do is take our most vulnerable people and try to have them learn on an empty stomach. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Somebody in the name of God Almighty in heaven or, or, or whatever secular God you got, I don't care, please tell these people to get some political skill. Please tell these people how to frame an issue. Please tell these people how to tell a story. Because I don't see anybody doing it. I mean, I, 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 you, you got to give Mayor Pete credit and his people. They saw it open. They made it. And Bernie just sits there and screams. And I, I, I don't know, but it, and I don't think I'm – I've talked to a lot of people in the course of a day, and I don't know of a single person that is not scared out of their minds. And I, I and I and I, so I talk to my friends, and they go, "Well, no, I don't have anything to tell you to change your mind. In fact, I'm more afraid of you all." And you give me a perfect example. They're going after. Now we're gonna find out. Now, two two things happen. This, you know, you know how fucking bad the Democrats are. I'll tell you, Trump in Davos was talking about cutting Medicare. You, you're kidding me. In the 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 the, the, the epicenter of global capitalism, of billionaire cluelessness, is Davos. His people, the country, he's promised us, I'm not, I'm not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. While he's doing that, Mike Pence is talking about block granting Medicaid, which is, is just as popular as Medicare. And block granting means cutting it. Of That's what it means. What, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he can use all the it, euphemisms he wants. Even, they can't even do that. Okay? That. That's like, you talk about politics 101? No, sir, Mr. Davos man. You're, you're not. And if don't frame the tax bill, somebody understand how to frame an issue, how to tell a story. In a, I'm, I'm sorry, a 20-point plan is not framing an issue, and a 20-point plan is not telling a story. Well, among the many awful things that will happen uh, if Trump is reelected, you can guarantee that Medicare will be slashed. Not cut, but slashed. And Medicare, there are going to be more poor people thrown off it. But Harv, Harv, what else? what else do you have? All right, here's my other one. Six. Six. That is the number of times I watched the Super Bowl video of President Trump messing around during the Sarah Spangled Banner in a row. I literally, on the third tr third watching, realized that my mouth was hanging open. My jaw had actually dropped. He's looking around. He's messing around. He's conducting an orchestra. It was bunkers. So, Hunt, I'm going to start with you. Um, any reaction? Did you see the video? And how do you how do you justify that along with his attack on NFL players? who respectfully kneeled during the anthem when he's up there looking like an idiot. Well, it's very easy. That's very easy numbers. That's the easiest question because the NFL players he was attacking all happened to be been have something in common. They were black. 
They were the NFL is over 70 percent African-American. So that's Trump's target. He doesn't give a goddamn about the national anthem, as that video showed. I mean, he was making fun of it, actually. But, you know, let a guy respectfully kneel. First of all, they didn't used to play the national anthem at games and let players as they did. They, they didn't do any. They didn't do any great protests. They didn't throw anything. They respectfully kneeled. And he went after him. He went after him for one reason. He's a racist, has been all of his life. That's what the birther was all about. That's what the Central Park Five. That's what Charlottesville was all about, and that's what going after the NFL players was all about. It's simple. So, so this is a man, right, who didn't, who does not know what happened at Pearl Harbor. Now, wait a minute. I say, oh, come on, James. No. Two, to a Pulitzer Prize reporter, I, it, I don't think it's been denied, and I know General Madison's never denied it. He's over there, and he says, what's the big deal about Pearl Harbor? General Kelly. It was, it, it was General Kelly. I'm sorry. It was General, General Kelly, Kelly who was there who has not right. denied and so, it. Right. And, right. And, and, James, just to add to your point, it was General Kelly the other day who said, I would believe John Bolton and not Donald Trump. But please tell us more, General Kelly. The fate of the world. I, I'm, I'm sure you're probably a lifelong Republican, General Kelly. You know what this is. You know what this man is. All right. He didn't know what happened at Pearl Harbor. If, if, if you want to say he's ignorant, he's ignorant on a, on, on, on a level that, man, I tell you, I grew up in South Louisiana. We got our share of stupid people. We know that. I never knew anybody that stupid. I, 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 I'll go, I'll put, you know, T-Boy Latchley is not as stupid as Trump. Now, T Boyd's probably down there in the marshes fishing, okay? <laughs> He's there looking right. for that for that right. pineapple that Mitch Landrieu right. just crapped. Uh, that's what old T Boy is doing. Uh, uh, oh, man, I'll tell you. Uh, well, listen, numbers, I think, I mean, if you have anything else, we'll do it. But uh, if not, you've. You know, big sales Those are as my always. two, and my last, my only final word is, I'm with you guys. Screw it. Let Nancy that's pick. It. That's all. That's, that's, to me, that's the solution. Oh, wow. I, I might write her in in Louisiana. <laughs> James, I think I'm going to see you in New Hampshire this weekend. We, we, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like the weekend before the New Hampshire primary, even with a good or a bad field. We took all three of our children up there for that weekend before, because there is, that is really the epicenter of American politics. There's nothing like it. Everybody's there. You can sit in Manchester within an hour. You cover 90%. And, and one of my favorite says, 1992, you know, we had the Arkansas Travelers and they brought a pig up from Arkansas, you know, Razorbacks, Arkansas Love. I never seen a state like pork more than they do, and so you know that you, you cook it over an open fire and that kind of thing. It was so goddamn cold, the freaking fire couldn't melt the pig because it was frozen so bad. <laughs> and of course, me being from Louisiana, I had a pair of tennis shoes on. <laughs> I almost lost my toes. People could, James, you got to, you, you got to wear boots. I don't know. I'll get up in the morning, you know, just like shit. I'm, I'm <laughs> so. That's my that's my experience. We couldn't thaw a pig; it was so cold. But well, that was before climate. You know, probably not an issue anymore. But no, it's a fun. It's a it's a fun. You know, I, I like the New Hampshire primary. I, Iowa, we didn't do in '92 because Hawken ran. I went up there for a couple of times with different, you know, for the for the caucuses. It, but I, I, the Democratic Party, is very concerned. or claims to be very concerned about money and politics and et cetera, et cetera. And so what they do is they put California up front. Well, <laughs> maybe there's something for having in New Hampshire, and I don't know, Iowa screwed it up, but having some of these smaller southern states, and, and you know, by the time you get to California, you're down to, to two or three people. But anybody that goes to the DNC, they pressure California, put them first, they put them first, the Wisconsin people come in. The convention is, is right now, if, if Pelosi doesn't get in there and say, to, to tell the people at the DNC, this is who's running the convention. They will have dictatorial powers. If, to give Mitt Romney credit, I wish we could get somebody like Mitt Romney to save this thing like Mitt Romney saved those Olympic Games in Salt Lake City. Because the incompetence that I see 
in, in the stories that I'm starting to hear. It, I'm going to tell you, I have a proposal, and you're going to agree with this proposal. The Democrats should hold their convention every four years in, drumroll please, Las Vegas, Nevada. Right? The downside, it's hot. The upside, cheap, bottom of the season, multiple hotels, multiple convention facilities, Pacific time zone. It does not matter. One, you're not going. We got not one vote for being in North Carolina. Got not you know not one vote for where you hold a convention. You're not going to get one vote in Wisconsin more than you would normally get. And they haven't put the if, if, if one of the things that these guys don't understand. If you're part of the Louisiana delegation, most delegates from Louisiana Democratic National Committee are, are not particularly affluent people. And so they're going to stay. They're going to put them up at O'Hare Airport and they have a bus pick them up and drive God knows how much to go to Milwaukee. And they have people tell about people staying in Madison and doing watch events from Madison, Wisconsin. Who thought of this? And now they're not the top two people that some you know, story about the way they were treating people at work. Yeah, for God's sakes, Nancy, get get Mitt Romney to resign from the Senate and go save the Democratic Party's ass and run our convention. I would half agree with you. I'm not sure about Vegas, but I love the idea of Nancy Pelosi running the convention wherever it is. But we'll see you this weekend. I'll see you this weekend in New Hampshire, and we'll see all of you next week. We thank you for listening. And as always, I hope that you'll rate, review, and again, be, be kind. Subscribe the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. For James Carville, I'm Al Hunt. We'll talk to you post-New Hampshire. <laughs>